When there is no king, we live by what is right in our own eyes. When there is a king, we live by what is righteous in God's eyes. And there's a huge difference in this. And when I say, when God becomes real, when I say that phrase, it's when God becomes a king of my life, that regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I think, regardless of what my circumstances, regardless of where I'm at, God is real. He's, his word is final authority in my life. His word is what I'm going to stand on, whether I agree with it or not, whether I understand it or not, I'm going to obey what the word of God says in this circumstance, whatever that may be. That every single day that God is king, that this is not something that one day he's king of my life and one day he's not. One moment I'm surrendering to what God says, the next moment I'm living however I want. Instead, it's a constant surrender of going, I acknowledge you as king. You're on the throne of my life. I will serve you as king. And this is no longer about what I want, but it's about what you want. And that's the life that we want to live. So we want to live a life that God is king. And then we will live by what is righteous in his eyes. And so it is not just, we've been talking about revelation over the last, I don't know, six weeks or so, and what it means to get a revelation of God, a revelation of who he is, a revelation of his word. So when we say that God's real in our lives, when I acknowledge that God is real and I'm gonna live for him, then it's saying that I have a revelation of who he is. I have a revelation of who he is in every single circumstance that I face. That it's not, I hope he shows up. I hope he hears me. I hope that we make it through this. I hope it's not those things. But it's knowing that I know without a doubt that God's going to show up. But not just show up. He's already with me because that's what his word says. I know without a doubt that God is my provider. I know that without a doubt that God is my safe place, that God is my protector, that he's my refuge, that he's my strength, that he's my joy, that he's my peace. That these are no longer things that are a question to us because we have the reality in our lives of who God is. And with this, I think sometimes we can have a, like a church life separation almost, that I love the inspiring messages. I love what I learn at church. I love the idea of what God could be in my life. I love the idea of who I could be. I love all of these things. But then when I go home, I have my real life. And that's when I face real circumstances. And that's when I face real people. And that's when I face real things that really make me question all the things that I heard in the inspiring message on Sunday or on Wednesday, right? And so then we have this balance. So we have, I know that God says he has a plan for me. I know that God says that we can make it. I know what God says that he's my protector. I know that God says that if I surrender and I submit to him and he's going to order my steps, I know he says all these things. But out here, I'm actually facing real life. And I just wonder if that's really who God is. That's what I'm talking about when I say, are we living like God's real? Are we living with him as king of our lives? Or are we living as the king of our own lives? So I want to start off with a couple of scriptures. First one is Joshua 24, 14. You were just writing so fast. You didn't have time to yell. It's fine. You can yell on the next one. Unless you're still writing. That's fine too. And I'm going to start reading in verse 14. And it says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which our fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for your day, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods in which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay, this is right at the end of Joshua's life. Okay, these vital words. We are going to spend the bulk of tonight in the next book in Judges. But I wanted to lay a foundation of what it looks like for us because they made the decision here. Joshua's saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. And that means that we're going to serve him as king and in every circumstance and in our choices and in our words and in our actions and in what we do in life and our endeavors in my prayer time and my worship time and my word time, whatever it is, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. And that's the final thing. That's the final authority. That is the stand that we're taking. But he's also challenging the people in this same thing. He's challenging God's people and he's saying, you choose who you're going to serve. You can choose to serve the gods that your families have served. You can choose to, to serve what's popular around you. Because he says in the land that you're going now, in the, in the land that you're dwelling now, there's also gods that are being served. You can serve them too. And so we will always have a choice of who it is that we're going to serve. We are going to serve ourselves. We are going to serve gods or idols. And we'll get into that in a minute because I know we don't have like 
little images that we've had on a worship, but we absolutely have idols in our lives. And so we can serve the gods that are popular around us. We can serve the gods that our family before us has served, or we can choose to serve God. And those lives and those lifestyles will look very, very different. So Joshua is making a stand of where he stands, but now he's challenging the people. Here's the people's response. So the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. Seems like a good idea, right? That's a good Christian answer. So they say, yeah, no, we, we're not going to forsake God. We're, we're not going to serve other gods. We are absolutely going to serve uh, the one true God. In verse 17, for the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us all the way that we went in among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Okay, so they're making a pretty, a pretty decent stand here. Like, no, he's the God that provides for us. He's the God that protects us. He's the God, like, they're proclaiming all the things that he was. The difference between Joshua and the people of Israel at this time is that Joshua had a personal relationship with God. The people of Israel had someone go to God on their behalf. They had not had that personal relationship with him. And so that makes a difference on who is king in our life. So just a side note there. Because then it goes on, because Joshua kind of questions them. Like, cool, you know what the Bible says about God. Are you going to actually live like it? And he says, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua then tells them, your witness is against yourself. So he's trying to really present a case here that you can't say that you're going to serve God and live another way. You have got to choose who you're going to serve and it's not just in your words. So Joshua is really trying to drive this home. But when we get into the book of Judges, and I got to go a little bit and like foreshadow where we're going so that I can read this next scripture and then we'll actually jump into that. But when we get into the book of Judges, we start reading with the Israelites and the first thing they do is fall away from God. They start worshiping other gods. And there is a phrase that's repeated from the book of Judges all the way through First and Second Kings. It's repeated in different variations about 20 times. And it says, where there is no, there was no king in Israel, so the people did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel, but the people did what was right in their own eyes. So that's the phrase that is repeated now from this next book. So we are ending Joshua with where we're reading right now. There's not very many more scriptures left. So there's a little bit of Joshua left. We get to Judges. And then once we get to Judges, there was no king, even though they knew God was the king of Israel. They knew that God was the authority. They knew that serving God was where their lives should lie. But as soon as we start the book of Judges, it says that there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own, their own eyes. And it repeats that all the way through 2 Kings. And so the reason I wanted to foreshadow that is now we're going to go to Romans 1.18. Because Joshua was challenging them with something that it will be vital for you to not just say that you serve God, but to live like you serve God. And he's saying that your life will be destroyed. You will wreck yourself if you choose to speak one thing, acknowledge that God exists, but live like he doesn't. When my mouth doesn't line up with the word of God, when my life doesn't line up with the, with the boundaries and the guidelines within the word of God, when I live outside of relationship with him, when I live outside of a prayer life with him, then I know that God exists, but I'm living like he doesn't. And it makes a difference. And he's saying you will wreck your life. So we're going to start reading in verse 18. And it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his external, eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He's saying, I've made myself readily available to you. 
is what he's saying. Everybody has access to me and everything that I say I am, every promise in the word you have access to. And so these are, these are available. There's no excuse not to access the fullness of who I am and access the fullness of what I will do on your behalf. There's no excuse for it. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and were foolish and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to their uncleanliness in the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And this is the key verse I want to focus on here. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So what does that actually mean? What does that look like in our lives? So until God becomes real in our lives, we may say, God's my provider, God's my strength, God's my hope. But then something bad happens and we go, God, why did you, why'd you do this? Why'd you let this happen to me? Why'd you... And the questions in our heart are not necessarily bad, but does anything about God's character say that he caused that to happen? No. Not one thing say that he caused that to happen. But we'll allow ourselves to believe that. We'll allow ourselves to believe that bad things happen are because we don't have good enough character. Or bad things happen because God is punishing us. Or, but his character, that's not, that's not who he is. We can open ourselves up to things by our decision. It says that. He gave them over to what they wanted. If we want sin, God's not going to control us. If we want to live outside of him, he's not going to control us. He's going to let us, and sin will always have a consequence. But he doesn't cause bad things towards us. So we can exchange the truth of God for a lie. We can take, and, and we'll get into this more too, but we can take gifts and talents and abilities that he's given us, and we begin to worship those things over him who gave us those things. We'll be able to, we'll start to seek in, in all of these things that God has provided to us, hobbies, jobs, money, whatever it is, we'll seek all of these things to begin to worship these things in our life over God. And we trade in who he is for what we want out here and begin to worship these things. But all along, we acknowledge that there is a God. And, but we live like he isn't real because now we've made these things our God. Does that make sense so far? Okay, it'll make a whole lot more sense on, on this next point. So this next section we're going to talk about is we're going to jump into the book of Judges. And the book of Judges, as I said before, it says there was no king in Israel. And so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And I want to show us just through some stories what it might look like to do life in our own eyes. That they, and keep in mind, all of these people will tell you that God is the God of Israel. All of these people we're going to study, they're going to tell you that God is absolutely the God of Israel. However, what happens when we don't serve him as king, when we don't acknowledge him as the final authority in our lives? We're going to look at what happens to some lives. And um, so the first, let's look at, just so you know I'm not lying to you, Judges 21-25. And this is the summary verse, the verse for the entire book of Judges. And it'll wrap up the whole thing that we're talking about right here just to kind of confirm it. And then we're going to go back to the beginning and see why it may have said this. The very last verse in Judges 21-25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's kind of, it says a lot on even the nation that we live in today. That... We don't live with a king. We don't live submitted to the king. We don't live submitted to Christ. We don't live submitted to the word. We don't live submitted to God. We acknowledge that there is one. And we even do good Christian things. But our lifestyles are oftentimes lived in what is right in my own eyes. I'm going to live based on how I feel. I believe, I'm going to live based on what I see. I'm going to live based on what I think is best. I'm going to live based on the current circumstance that I'm facing, the way that I perceive it becomes truth. And we're going to live all of these ways without acknowledging and submitting our lives to what God says. And it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. So let's flip over to Judges 9. That's the first story I want to look at. 
And this guy, his name is Abimelech. Okay, and, and it's just funny to me. This one doesn't have any, the rest of them have some deeper meaning. This one was just hilarious. And I went, this is really what it's like to live with what is right in our own eyes. This dude thought he was tracking and life was going well. He thought things are looking up for me. And so when we live based on what is right in our own eyes, let's look at a few verses of him. I want to start in verse 4. And it says, So they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. Okay, so let's give a little bit of backstory to his life. He just decided one day that it would be best that he named himself king. So he decided, I'm going to become king. And he goes and talks to his family and persuades them, would you rather do what, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, what everyone's doing? Or would you just prefer to serve like one guy? Like one guy should really be in charge around here. So he assumes the leadership position himself. Okay, so what is the first thing that that tells us about living with no king is that we promote ourselves as king. So now I don't want to do what everybody else is saying because everyone has a different opinion about my life. Everyone has a different opinion about where I'm going. So I'm going to make myself king and whatever I says goes, Right? But the problem is, he wasn't submitted to the king, right? He wasn't submitted to God. He wasn't submitted to God's word. He wasn't, so when I say the king, I know there's no king in Israel. But all of these people were very aware that there was a king of Israel and it was God. And they had already been given the commandments. They had already been given the guidelines to live. So they all knew, just as we know, who is king and who is not. So he just decided, I'm just going to crown myself king. And everybody should do as I want. Here's the thing with that, is that the only people that he could surround himself with to follow, this should give us like a very good analogy. When we decide that we're going to be king of our own life and we're going to operate outside of the lordship and the kingship of Christ and who he is, the people that he hired, the people that followed him were worthless and reckless men. <laughs> worthless and reckless men. Why is that? Because those are the only people that are going to stand for something so ridiculous. <laughs> Because by all means, we want to shipwreck life with you. So we want to go down with you. We think it's a great idea that you're king. We disacknowledge anything that we've ever been taught. We disacknowledge what God says. Let's, let's do this. So he's surrounded with worthless and reckless people. So I'll keep reading through six right here. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers and 70 sons of Jerubal. If we remember who that is, that is Gideon. So he killed Gideon's son on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubal, was left because he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. So he goes. He kills Gideon's son. He kills his family. So he makes himself king. And these are the decisions he immediately starts making and thinks he's doing the right thing. Does that make any sense? Okay, but do we all, you can like acknowledge yourself in a season of life or know somebody that you're like, I'm single-handedly watching you wreck your life and you think that it's working out for you. Like you are killing things that is, belongs to you. You are, I'm watching this happen and you think you're right. We've all experienced that in some way or another, right? Why? He made himself king and he thought he was great at it. I don't want to submit to who God is. I don't want to submit to his word. So I think I'm going to take charge and I'll be in charge of my life. And so then he starts making these decisions. The next part we're going to read is just hilarious. So that's why I threw it in there. Um, we're going to start in verse 52. So he's been king of himself for uh, three years now. And it says, and now the good people. So remember the son of Gideon, he brings the good people back and they're going to fight him. And he's going to go fight the good people now because he can take them all out. And he walks to like this castle thing made of rock. And when he walks up to that, it says, but a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. But then this part, because when we decide that we would be a better king over our life than God is, it shows our level of pride and our lack of humility. It reveals our heart in that moment that I'm not going to submit to who God is. I'm not going to submit to his lordship over my life. Instead, I'm going to do what I think is best. I'm going to operate in what I think is best. And so now I'm operating in complete pride. And the next verse, still out of pride, he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, 
draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, a woman killed him. So arrogant still at that point that he's like, I can't die by the hand of a woman. Kill me with your sword. Like you could have left him and he was going to die. Like he was going to die either way, right? But still in this moment, because I'm king of my own life, I'm going to go out not only, but I'm going to go out still filled with pride because I'm my own king and I'm going to die the way I want to die. I'm going to live the way I want to live. And it's a danger in not submitting to who God is. And so in these points, write those down. Where have I become king of my own life? Where have I named myself king? Look at the people you're surrounded with. Are you surrounded with people that are like, dude, that's a dumb idea. Or are you surrounded with people like, yeah, let's kill your brothers. I'll help you. They're either going to be worthless or reckless, or they're going to have the character of Christ, depending on who you're serving. So who are we surrounded with? All right, the next one, Judges 14, a very popular story. So we're going to spend a ton of time on this, and I'm not going to teach it from the traditional way, but this is Samuel, or Samson, not Samuel, sorry, Samson. Wrong book. I read Samuel today, but that's not where we're headed. I cut that part out. Samson. Okay, we know Samson, like big, strong guy, defeats an army with a jawbone of a donkey, like he has got it going for him. And his parents, they talk about, you know, they're going to consecrate his, his life to God and they'll never cut his hair. And he has all these things that he has to do to serve God as king in his life. Because it's not just about the things that God asks us to do. It's not about a list of rules. It's about the principles that we align our lives with to surrender to who he is, to be able to walk in the fullness of what he has for us, Right? And so Samson, he has got it made, but he has some principles that he has to stay in the boundaries of these things to have God's blessing and favor on his life. That's it. Not very hard, right? Okay, well, if you read through the story, and I'll let you do that on your own, multiple times he said, I did this, but I didn't tell my parents. I did this, but I didn't tell my parents. I did this, but I didn't tell my parents. Multiple times in here. So does he know what's right and wrong? Yeah. And he's choosing otherwise, but knows what's right and wrong, is choosing otherwise, but then backing it up with, and I didn't tell my parents. Because it's only wrong if your parents know, right? No, that's, that's not truth. Don't write that in your notes. It is wrong if you know it's wrong, okay? So this applies to everyone in the room. This is not when we're adults. This is what we apply. This is now. So Samson knew right from wrong will say, I did this, but I didn't tell my parents. But here's the pieces that I want to read. Is then he sees this Philistine girl, Delilah, right? So because Samson is doing what he isn't supposed to be doing, he's seeing what he isn't supposed to be seeing. And the same is true in our life. When I decide that I'm going to be king over my life, and I'm going to live without a king, and I'm going to live outside of the boundaries of the word of God, and I'm just going to push a line here because it doesn't really matter, and I'm going to push a line here because it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter how I talk. It doesn't really matter what I watch. It doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't really matter what I listen to. All of these little things don't really matter. So I'm just going to push the lines and push the lines and push the lines, and I'm not going to tell my parents because if my parents don't know, then God doesn't know. But we think it's true. So, so that's what Samson thinks. But now, because he's pushing all of these things outside of the boundaries, he's seeing things that he should never see. And he's desiring things he should never desire. When we become king over our own lives, we're going to see what we were never created to see, and we're going to desire the things that we were never created to desire. But then he goes one step further. Then he starts pursuing a relationship with this girl. Okay? So now he's starting to pursue a relationship with things. Don't raise your hand. That'd be awkward. Have you ever found yourself... <laughs> in a place that maybe, man, those things that I once thought were awful, somehow I'm right in the middle of them. And this was like, definitely you're going to get struck by lightning sin at one point in my life. And now I'm here. Those, that one thing that I thought was so bad that I would never touch, I'm here. Why? What happened? Because a little bit and a little bit and a little bit because it just really doesn't matter that much. I know what God's word says. This is knowingly. I know what God's word says. I know what I should and shouldn't be doing. I know what I should be saying and shouldn't be saying. I know how I should be talking and how I shouldn't and thinking and apply it to any area of life. I, I know how I should be handling my money. I know how I should, whatever it is. I know what God's word says, but surely a little bit. And now I'm seeing things 
I'm desiring things, but not only am I seeing and desiring, now I have a relationship with them. Okay, but she's not really in Samson's life at this point, right? He's just kind of toying with the idea that maybe this is a good idea. But I want to read something. And he said uh, in verse 12, so 14, 12, then Samson said to them, let me, and this is to the Philistines, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve it and explain it to me within seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. Doesn't seem like a bad idea, right? Except for this is the enemy that he's dealing with. So now not only are we just pushing lines a little bit here and there, now he's entertaining. He's riddling with the enemy. He's entertaining the enemy. So now, instead of taking the thought captive, I'm entertaining the thought. Now, instead of saying, absolutely not, that won't come in my life. I'm not going to talk that way. I'm not going to think that way. I will not watch that. Now I'm entertaining the idea like, I don't know what, what bad could it hurt. So, so if I entertain this a little bit and it does good in my life, maybe it's a win-win, right? So now I'm king of my own life and now I'm just entertaining the things that the enemy has thrown my way. I'm entertaining the traps. I'm entertaining the things. But do you see that he would have never even been in a position to entertain these things from the enemy if he would have just stayed within the boundaries of the word of God to begin with? So now he's in a position of, of, of toying with the enemy, playing with the enemy. Like, it, like it's funny because he thinks, like many of us do, I'm too Christian to really fall into that. I know too much of God's word to actually cross that line. I know too much of what God says to actually get to that place. But all he did was a little bit there and a little bit here and saw things and desired things and now he's toying with the enemy. And if we fast forward to the end of Samson life, they plucked out his eyes and they made him a prisoner and he was really just a joke. So now the thing that he was entertaining, he became the entertainment for. And that's the same thing that'll happen in our lives. Are those things that we're entertaining with the enemy? We become the enemy's entertainment when they take us over and we have no control over them and we can't get out and we can't get help. And they be, we become the entertainment. The devil's like, <laughs> he thought the joke was on me. Who's the joke on now? And now everyone knows what's going on. And now everyone knows what's going on behind the scenes. And now you can't get free. So now you're just going to isolate yourself. So then he's stuck in a prison. And, and at the very, very end, he ends up pulling down the thing and killing a lot of people. But what could his life have been? What could his life have been? And if you would have asked him, while he's toying with the enemy, hey, Samson, is there a God? You bet. He would have never not acknowledged that there was a God. He would have never not acknowledged that his job was to serve God. Like all of us do. But do we live like it in the little things? Or do we entertain the enemy? Or do we push the line a little bit here? Push the line a little bit there. We're seeing things, desiring things. So what is that, right? Those indicators down. Am I seeing things and desiring things that are outside the boundaries of the word of God? If so, I've pushed lines somewhere. If so, I need to bring myself back within the boundaries of the word of God. It's obvious that I've made myself king because of these things. Or maybe you're in a place on the very far end of it that you feel like you're the entertainment for the enemy now because I'm stuck and I can't get out and I don't want to ask for help. Well, you might be feel stuck there, but it's a lie to say you can't ask for help. It's a lie to say you have to stay in isolation and stay in guilt and stay in shame. That's not it. You absolutely ask for help because there's freedom and there's redemption because that's who God is. And that's where we can, we talked about at the beginning where we can trade the truth of who God is for a lie. And the enemy would love to do that to go, you can't get help. You're stuck. You're the one that got yourself here and now you're stuck. No, you can get help because you serve a redemptive God and don't let him toy with the idea and change the definition of who God is because of the circumstance that you're facing. We can absolutely repent, turn things around quick and easy. It's going to be a process. But God already died. Jesus already died for things. He already took care of it. And so there'll be a process to walk it back out. But as far as forgiveness and redemption, it's quick. And so trust God in that. Don't let the enemy shape who God is. Now let's flip over to Judges 17. And remember, this is all people who knew there was a God. And it's all people 
who acknowledged that there was a God, but it's also all people that decided that they were going to do what was right in their own eyes. So we're going to start, and there's the first guy we're going to start with, is his name's Micah. Okay, this is right after, like, where the story picks up, right after Samson dies, and we just pick up with this random story of Micah. I don't know how it relates. I didn't study all that out, but it's like, Samson's dead. Now there's this guy named Micah from the mountains, and that's about where the story picks up. We are going to look at first. Let me see. We'll go ahead and start in just verse 1. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you on which you had put a curse, even saying it to my ears, here's the silver with me. I took it. Okay, what a way to like start your story. Like, welcome to the Bible. Hello, mom. All that money you saved that you were going to consecrate for God, I'm the one that stole it. But don't worry, I brought it back. That's how this story is starting. Okay, these are the stories like we don't, I try to pick unpopular stories tonight. I know I picked Samson, but I picked the other ones that were not popular. Um, so this is how his story starts. That I just wanted to, you to, like, I wanted to acknowledge to you that I'm a thief. I stole this from you. Here's your money. Okay. So she says, and his mother said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my son. Interesting. He stole the money that she had set aside to give to God. He gives it back. And she goes, may you be blessed. I guess for coming clean. That's like the best I could do to, to break that down. So when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. Thus he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith. And he made it into a carved image, molded image. And they were in the house of Micah. Okay. I know this is like a super weird story. But let me break it down to what happens when God is not king of our life. When we know that God is God, but we choose to be our own king and we choose to do what is right in our own eyes. There is a danger in this. And I think from us to the next generation or parents to kids, the first point that I have to make is she chose to compromise something that belonged to God to give to her kids. And the compromise that she made, it was only 200 of the 1,100, so it wasn't that much. But she made a little compromise that was set aside for God. And we're going to read here in a moment, it became the lifestyle of her son. One compromise doesn't seem like a big deal. But she said, I set this aside for God. I had consecrated this for God but I'm going to take 200 of it and I'm going to let you have an image. Now, I know you guys, hopefully, nobody carves little images to give to their children as gifts. That'd be awkward. But how many times do we compromise a little bit? I know that the standard is, but just this once. I know, or we preach to our kids, we don't talk this way, we don't lie, we don't cheat, we don't, but then we do it in our lives. So a little compromise in our lives became the lifestyle of his life. So a little, little compromises that we make in this generation will become the lifestyle of the next generation. And I think we're seeing that already with our generation, right? Little compromises that have been made now become a lifestyle for the next generation. Compromises that are made in your home will become a lifestyle for your kids. Because the thing is, is that you're like, well, we serve God and we went to church. I just made this little compromise. If you made this little compromise, then that means you chose that you were God, that you were going to do what was right in your eyes, not what was righteous in the sight of God. So now you open the door to the enemy to wreak havoc on our kids and on the next generation because of little compromise. And it makes a huge difference. And so when we decide to do what's right in our own lives, other people pay the price. And it's not just us. It makes a difference. So then, fast forward, and it says, then... The man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and a household of idols. His mom only gave him one. But look where his life ended up. So his mom gave him one, and now he has a household of idols, a household of, of things. And we can look at this a, a million different ways, but see, when we take life into our own hands, when I decide that I'm king of my life and I'm going to do what's right in my eyes, then I don't create generational blessings to pass down to my kids. I create generational curses to pass down. I create things that now they've got to deal with where he has all of these idols and images. They might not be idols and images in the physical sense, but they could be the love of money. 
They could be anger. They could be deception. They could be uh, fear and worry. It, it could be, I mean, a million different things. Anxiety, depression, like you name it. It could be all of these things that are now passed down because I opened the door for it and now you, we can see it as his lifestyle. She didn't raise Micah to serve God as his king. She raised Micah to do what was right in his eyes. And doing what was right in his eyes was doing what was right in the eyes of his parents. Doing what was right in those that came before him. Now, two things I got to say about that is one, what we do genuinely does matter. And taking life into our own eyes will affect people around us. However, on the other end of that, if you go, I recognize some things in my life that I've seen in my family for generations. This is not an excuse to stay where you're at. This is a place that you're able to go, all right, generational curses turn into generational choices and I have a choice to make because I'm gonna choose to serve God where my family didn't. I'm gonna choose to serve God where they chose not to. I'm gonna choose that this won't be an idol and it ends in the generation before me because it won't come into my life and it won't come into my family. And so we have a choice with that. So I gotta say both of those things at one, it does matter and it does make a difference. But then on the other end, it's not an excuse to stay where you're at. It is a place that you go, I have a choice to do life different because of my God. And I have a choice that maybe he wasn't king of their life, but I absolutely believe that as for me and my house, we're gonna serve God. And that makes a difference too. And so I know that's a, a challenge, but when we take life into our own hands, we do what is right in our eyes, it affects people. It affects people beyond what we can imagine. But then on the other end, if I'm the recipient of that, I go, no, not in my house. Because there's a choice that I can make that I'm going to choose God and I'm going to live with the boundaries of the word of God regardless of what happened before me. Regardless of what I've seen my whole life. Regardless, none of that is more powerful than God. And so I'm going to turn generational curses into generational choices. Tracking? We all good? All right. So the next person that comes on the scene. So now he has a shrine. He has this place of idols and life is good. But he absolutely knows that there's a God. How do we know he knows there's a God? Because his mom said, I had this money set aside for God. And I just gave you part of it, right? And it is capital G, 100%. Like there wasn't a question who they were giving to. It was a capital. They knew that they were given to God. So they acknowledged that there was a God, but there was compromise in their home, which lead, led to a compromised lifestyle. So now someone else shows up on the scene. Verse 7. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah of the in Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah. He was a Levite and was staying there. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. Okay, stop there for a minute. If he was a Levite and he was from the house of Judah, meaning it derived from the tribe of Judah, meaning he came from a lineage of priests. He came from a lineage of God's people, right? So this is who he is. He absolutely knows who God is. And so he's a Levite, and it says he's leaving Bethlehem. The representation of Judah, the representation of Bethlehem, okay, this was the place that he was created to be and created to thrive. But when we decide that we are going to be kings of our own life and not surrender to who God is as king in our life, then we'll leave the places that we were created to thrive and go, he doesn't even know where he's going. It just says, the man departed from the city of Bethlehem and Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. So because I'm going to do what's right in my eyes, I'm going to leave where I was created to thrive and I'm going to go anywhere is better than here. And we found ourselves in those situations, whether it's I needed to, something happened at work that I, I disagree with, so now I'm going to quit here. Even though I know that's where God wanted me to be, I'm going to quit and I'm going to go here. Something happened at church, maybe I was challenged and I didn't want to be challenged, so now I'm going to leave this church. I don't care what church I'm going to, I'm just going to go to another church because surely anywhere is better than here. And then we leave our families and then we leave, and the, and the story is just continues. And we become leavers because anywhere that God created us to be, when I'm king, I'm not submitted to what God wants. I'm submitted to what I want. So when I don't feel like I want to be here, think I want to be here, see that I want to be here, whatever it is, then I'm going to do what I think and sacrifice what God thinks. And now I'm going to go and I'm going to do my own thing. And that's where we find this kid. And so he leaves the place where he was created to be. Why? Because God wasn't king. Because he was king. So picking up in the story, 
he came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? So he said to him, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem and Judah, and I'm on my way to find a place to stay. Okay, here's another point. Oh, let me read the next line and then I'll make that point. Make more sense that way. Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you 10 shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. Okay, A, when God's not king of my life and I'm king of my life, I'm gonna leave the place I was created to thrive. I'm gonna leave the place that God had created for me, the thing that was destined for him. But then secondly, I'm also gonna leave anybody that would hold me accountable. And now I come up to a man who also believes that God exists, that doesn't question why I left where I was leaving from. He doesn't question, I thought that's where you were supposed to be. I thought that's where you were supposed to thrive. Why would you walk away from that? Why would you leave that behind? No, he goes, all right, come with me. Why? Because when we leave the places that God designed us to leave, the only place that we can go is to the people that accept the lifestyle and decisions that we've made. But then more so, because I'm still king of my own life. Then he moves in with Micah. Okay, he came from a lineage of priests. He knows what this is, and Micah knows that, and that's why Micah's like, come into my house. You can be my priest. I got all kinds of other gods we can worship the whole nine yards. Be my priest. Here's what happened to the Levite. Don't you think there would have been something in the Levite to go, this isn't right. This is not a place that I should be. When you leave Bethlehem and Judah and you come here, there should be something like, No, but instead he got to that place. He accepted that place. He resided in that place. And there was no question because when I decide that I'm king of my own life and I do what is right in my own eyes, then we just accept everybody as it is. I'm not gonna challenge your lifestyle. You're not gonna challenge my lifestyle. What I'm doing in my life is my business. What you're doing in your life is your business. We just know that we're both Christians and we both know God exists and we're gonna leave things there. What a dangerous life. What a dangerous place to be. Why? Because I'm going to do what's right in my life. And so now I'm only surrounded by people that are going to accept my lifestyle. And if they don't accept me, if, if Micah would have questioned him, he'd have said, forget you, buddy, and kept walking. Because I'm going to do what's right in my life. And so then we'll surround ourselves with people with agree with our lifestyle and they'll never challenge us. So with that challenge, I say, look at our lives. Are we surrounded by people that just agree with our lack of commitment to the word of God, our lack of boundaries in the word of God, or are we surrounded on people that are going to tell us what we don't want to hear when we don't want to hear it? What kind of people are we surrounded with? And what happens when those things come? Are we, are we going to listen to the counsel? Are we going to listen to what the word of God says? Are we going to listen? And regardless of, of what situation it is, will we listen to that? Or will we just quit that too and go somewhere else where we feel comfy? Because that's what happened for both of these men as they were living comfy lifestyles. And it says, Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like a son to him. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, watch this closely, Now I know that the Lord, capital L, will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. This man acknowledged that there was a God. This man acknowledged that he wanted God's protection, God's provision. He wanted all the blessings and the promises of God on his life, but he wanted to do what was right in his own eyes. And I wonder how many of us catch ourselves in a place that we want God's blessing, we want God's provision on our lives. And because we've become professional Christians instead of passionate Christians, we live our lives in a way that I can talk the way I want to talk in front of the right people, and I go to church, and I do mostly the right things. But on the back end of my life, I'm living outside of the boundaries of the Word of God, and I have an idol of my gifts. I have an idol of money. I have an idol of my profession. I have an idol of sports. I have an idol of whatever it is. And all these things in our life are actually more important than God, but we still want God's blessing on our life because we have one thing that seems to represent him in our home instead of our home revolving around who he is. So when we decide that we are going to become kings of our own life, it is dangerous. It is dangerous that we do what is right in our own lives instead of submitting to what God has. And when we're looking at molding and these images, of course I'm in kids ministry so let's be honest it's the only analogies that come to my mind if we have play-doh 
And I mold myself into what I want to be because when I'm king of my life, then I mold myself into what I want to be. I mold my finances into what I want them to be. I mold my friendships into what I want them to be. My relationships, my marriage, my family, whatever it is, I'm going to mold this into what I want it to be. And whenever I don't, when I find something that I don't want it to be, then I just remove myself from the situation because everyone else is the problem and not me. And so then I keep molding myself. And my molded self knows that there's a God. My molded self knows the word of God. My molded self... And now I have an image that I've created of myself. So in a sense, I've become my own idol because my way is more important than God's ways. And my thoughts are more important than God's thoughts. And my intentions are more important than God's intention. And so I've become my own idol instead of when it says that God is molding and shaping us into A, his likeness, but B, into who he has created us to be. Well, first of all, for me to mold this Play-Doh into what, if God's molding this into what he wants it to be, then there's some smashing. There's some stuff that's got to take place. But then he has a mold for each and every one of us. And it's not a simple little cutout. But he has, this is who Kylie's supposed to be. This is who Jenna's supposed to be. This is who Riley's supposed to be. This is, this is who they're supposed to be. But when they're their own king, you're never going to be this, ever. In your best day, in your best, you, you cannot be who you're supposed to be. You can't be the spouse you're supposed to be. You can't be the employee you're supposed to be. You can't be the friend you're supposed to be. You can't be the coworker you're supposed to be. You cannot be outside of God. But then when God molds you into who he's created to be, we have to allow him to cut away all the things that we don't, that we maybe love. All those idols, all those things, this all just becomes rubbish. This was never supposed to be a part of our life. This is all the stuff that God needs to cut away. These are all the, the words, the patterns, the, the habits, the addictions, the whatever. These are all the things God wants to cut away from our lives when we choose that we're going to make him king. So then he can mold us into the image that he has. This is the image he has created for us. But for us to be this, there has to be some stuff cut away. And sometimes we don't like that burn. Orin and I, last Wednesday, we said, if we're not in our prayer time and there's not the smell of burning fresh, flesh, we're probably not praying deep enough because there should be some burning flesh that takes place. That God, I need you to burn off of me what doesn't belong so that I can be who you've created me to be. Because only when he, we allow him to work through us and we submit ourselves to him and the boundaries that no one else is following and the things that don't seem important to anyone else because I've decided to make my God king and there's nothing more important to me. Now I can be who I'm created to be in all instances of life. In every area of life, I can be who God's created me to be. But I've got to allow him to cut away some things. Does that make sense? I'm going to give you some scriptures to write down for your own study. Because there's no way I was going to get to all this in an hour. But Proverbs 3, 7. Proverbs 14, 12. Proverbs 26, 12. 14.12 says there's a way that seems right to man, but its way is the end of death. And what ended up happening in the story of the Levite and Micah is that some other dudes came up and they decided that they wanted the Levite to be his priest too. And he must have been over Micah because he left and went with them. And then it was just a sad end to both of their stories if you keep reading the rest of the next couple chapters. But what happened? Because the Levite had a pattern of not staying where he was supposed to be. He had no reason to be there either. So then he just abandoned another situation and left and went with the same guys that were trying to kill basically Micah and, and his family. And so he ends up leaving again. Because until Christ is our Lord, until we truly worship God as King and we place him on the throne of our lives instead of ourselves, whatever seems right, that's what we're going to do. And we think we're doing the right thing and we think we're making it the right way, but we're not. Um, you can write down Romans 8, 7 through 8. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Luke 16, 15. And Jeremiah 17, 5 through 7. All right, so those were all my points on the not living with him as king. And based on those points, I think it's, it's easy for us to translate over and go, I can see what life would look like 
with him as my king. That if I choose to surrender my life to him, then I want people around me that are going to hold me accountable to the word of God. That, it, that if I choose to submit my life to him, then I'm not going to run away from places that he's planted me because I don't feel like being there or I don't feel like staying or I don't see the purpose or I don't, whatever it is, I'm not going to leave those places. I'm going to be submitted to what God's word says. I'm going to fight for things that matter. I'm going to, I'm going to be there. So there's, there's no, I guess I should say there's no rulership outside of relationship with him. Relationship before rulership. My dad's been preaching that. And so when we see that on these other ends, that we acknowledge that there's a God. I acknowledge that God exists. I acknowledge that there's a God, but I'm going to do life my way. Instead, I'm going to have a relationship with my God so then I can be who I'm supposed to be out here because he's king of my life. And so I heard it said that when you love God more then you love the people around you, which you're like, yeah, love God, love people. That makes sense. Then he can love through you to the people around you. But if your love for people or your love for self comes before your love for God, and when I say love for God, it's not just like, God, I love you. When I say love for God, is a reverent fear of God to go, God, I am far more concerned about what you think in this circumstance than what I think. And whatever you say goes. And I choose that I love you more than whatever's happening out here. And I need you to help me with what's happening out here by my submission to what your word says. And so if I'm, whatever it is, if I'm deciding what to do with finances, if I'm deciding where to go to school, if I'm deciding what to do with friends, if I'm deciding to date or not to date, if I'm deciding to get married, if I'm deciding whatever circumstance it is, what job do I take? What, how do I do this with my kids? How do I, whatever circumstance, I choose to love God more than I love what's going on out here. And because of my love for God, my surrender and my submission to him, now I can handle what's going on out here in a way that honors him. And that's when our beginning line, when there is a king, we live by what is righteous in God's eyes. Then I can make a decision in righteousness that aligns me with who he is instead of unrighteousness that separates me from who he is. And now I'm aligning myself with all of the things that I desire as outcomes. I'm aligning myself with the person that is my protector, that is my provision, that is my healer, that's my hope, that's my strength, that's my peace, and my joy. I'm aligned with that because I chose to be submitted to that. But acknowledging that he does all that from over here and living contrary separates me from all the things that I long for that I think I'm getting by myself. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is death. Until we get real with him, he is unable to reveal who he is to us. Until we get real with him, he is unable to reveal who he is to us. Because sometimes we want to come to him, but we don't want to tell him all the things like he doesn't know. <laughs> God, I want you just to see me as your perfect child. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to come to you and tell you these places in my life that I, that I've caused some hurt. I don't want to tell you these places in my life that I've been bitter, that, that I haven't forgiven, that I haven't, I don't want to tell you those things, but I, I just want you to love me and forgive me. See, there's a depth to God that we'll never get to until we become transparent with him, that we, until we become real with him. And when we get real with him, then there's that revelation factor that he reveals really who he is to us. Then he can show us, no, I'm your father regardless. I'm your protector regardless. I'm your, your provider regardless. Whatever it is, it's not too big for me. It's not impossible. You can have peace. You can have strength. And we have access to who he is, but that's only revealed with as real as we are before him. And so if our prayer life and our relationship with him is only asking for things and only approaching for him to fix things, and it's very vague and it's very flippant, that will be the story of our relationship with him. We will have a vague, distant relationship with God because we're not real. But when we get real with him, he reveals things that are incredible. When we get real with our hurts, when we get real with our pains, sometimes we think we can't take those to God. But sometimes those are the things that bring about the most revelation of who he is to us, the stuff that really sticks. Because then now God's real to me in a way that can't be taken away. And that is where, as I wonder, can you be persuaded how real God is in your life? Can you be persuaded if he's actually going to come through? Can you be persuaded? Because if you can be persuaded, there's a depth you haven't touched of his relationship yet. Instead, you could be going through hell and go, no, I know exactly who my God is and I don't question that. I don't question him. I don't question this. I know he is good. I know he is faithful and I know I can trust him regardless of my understanding of the situation. It's easy to say outside of the storm. When you're in the middle of the storm, 
the depth of your relationship is really going to come in handy <laughs> to go, I know exactly who my God is. I know what he says. Robert Morris just released a new book, and there's a quote in it that I absolutely love. So I just share it with you. It says, God is the only one who can promote and deliver. God is the only one who can promote and deliver. And I'll read the second part of this quote. But he's the only one who can promote and deliver. Sometimes if we think ourselves as king, I can deliver myself. I can promote myself. I'll get myself to where I want to go. I'll get myself out of this. And we forget to rely on God. But here's what happens. It says we have to stop trying to manipulate situations and instead let God work through our surrender, obedience, and reliance on him. We have to stop trying to manipulate situations and instead let God work through our surrender, obedience, and reliance on him. But the only way to do that is to be real with God. To go, I'm going to operate through obedience. I'm going to operate through surrender. I'm not going to try to work control freaks by nature. And we're going to try to control every situation to be able to get our way and get the outcome that we want. But we think we can deliver ourselves and we think we can promote ourselves and we can't. Only God can do that. But it comes through a surrender to him and a submission to him because maybe it's something we never needed in the first place. But we would have to trust him to know that, right? Will you stand with me? So when we live like God is king of our lives, then we truly live that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We truly live that it says whatever it is, whether it is in word or in deed, I'm going to do it as I do it unto God. We live that his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. That they are so much higher than mine. They are so much better than mine. And that's who I want to live for. And that's what I want to surrender to. I don't want my way of thinking to get in the way of my life. I don't want my way of doing things to get in the way of life. I don't want the way I see things to get in the way of life. I don't want past hurts and failures to get in the way of life. I want to surrender all those areas to God so that he can be who he is in my life. But then he can reveal who he is in a deeper way than I ever thought possible. And so then we don't question who he is. But then also, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He comes to give life. And so anything with the second that we think God is king, because here's what we'll do. You can't serve two masters. You'll serve one or the other. So we are either serving God or we are serving ourselves. And in serving ourselves, our natural nature is our fleshly nature, which means we will serve the enemy. We will serve his plan, even though we don't want to say that. We look at Samson, he could say all day he was serving God. We know exactly who he was serving. And it was the enemy that destroyed him. It was the enemy. So the same is true in our lives. There's a way that seems right, but its end is the way of death. Am I to a place that I can submit who I am to God and go, God, you're king no matter what. And I'm going to live like it. You're king. And I choose righteousness over being right. I choose righteousness over getting my way. I choose righteousness over unforgiveness. I choose righteousness over bitterness and offense. I choose righteousness over whatever it is that I could be dealing with. I choose righteousness. And it may hurt and it may sing and it may whatever. But I choose righteousness because you're my king. And the outcome with God being our king and really being our king is a whole lot better than us being our king. I promise. The longevity is different. The blessing, the favor is different. Life as a whole is different. So it makes a huge difference. You'll bow your heads and close your eyes with me. If there's anyone in here, first and foremost, that if you have not ever made the decision to even give your life to Christ, see, that's, that's the thing. It's not just, we can't live for him as king and acknowledge him as king if we've never made him king, if we've never consciously made the decision to make him king. So if there's anybody in here that said, I've never actually made him king in my life. I've never made him my Lord. I've never made him my savior. I've never taken and, and received the gift of salvation that he's given to me. And so if that is you and you've never made that decision, I would ask you just to slip your hand up with me and say, I want to know him. I want him to be my king. I want him to be my Lord. I want him to be my savior. And I don't want to go one more day without it. And I believe every single person in, the, in this room has made that decision, which means everyone in here acknowledges that there's a God. Are you living for him as king? Or are you king of your own life? And remember, this applies to every age in the room. This is not just adults. Every age in the room, are you the king of your life? When you're making decisions on which friends you're going to hang out with, with parties you're going to go to, what dances you're going to go to, when we're making those kinds of decisions, 
Are they decisions that put you in control of your life and you as king? Or are they making, are you making decisions based on who God is as your king? That is this a righteous decision or is this a decision that just satisfies me? Or makes me cool or makes me accepted? You'll never be more accepted than when you're submitted to him. Father God, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you truly are our king. And God, we come before you tonight in complete surrender and complete submission. And God, we repent for any day, for any season, for any time. And even if that time is now, that you have not been on the throne of our life. That we have taken life into our own hands. That we've decided that we're going to do things our way. That we've decided that we're going to control the outcome. That we're going to do what we want to do. That we're going to do what's right in our eyes instead of what is righteous in your eyes. And we repent and we ask for your forgiveness. And God, we put you back on the throne of our lives. And we surrender to you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would guide us, that you would direct us. That there would be an extreme level of a conviction to any word that comes out of our mouth that does not honor you. Any thought that comes into our mind that we're entertaining, any habit that we've been entertaining, any friendships or relationships that we may have surrounded ourselves with that we're not even aware are affecting us. I pray that you would show us these areas. I pray that you would reveal us these areas. That our hearts would be to serve you as king. That you are our Lord. That you are our king. And we truly desire to serve you. I pray that we would align our lives up with the word of God. Whether we understand it. Whether we believe it. I pray that we would submit to the word of God. And that would be the final authority in our lives. That we would make choices that honor you. And I thank you, Father, that on behalf of every person in this room, that as for us and our homes, that we are going to serve you. We're going to serve you in all areas of our lives. We're going to serve you as our king and not just acknowledge you as God. And I thank you for growing relationships. I thank you for safety over every single person in this room. I thank you for joy this week and peace this week. I thank you for our men in the room that are coming to the men's conference. Father God, I thank you for just your supernatural touch in their lives. I thank you that their lives would never be the same, that their homes would never be the same, that their workplaces would never be the same. I thank you for hearts that are receptive of everything that you have. Father, that breakthrough would happen this weekend, that freedom would happen this weekend. The direction, that guidance, that answers, whatever is being sought, Father God, I pray that that would come this weekend. Thank you for every single person speaking. I thank you, Father, that they would speak your word and not their own. And we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for anything, we have a team that would love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful weekend. Jerry Martin will be here on Sunday. You guys don't want to miss him, so make sure you're here for Sunday morning service to be able to see him. And then, guys, don't forget, men's conference starts on Friday. So, yeah.